the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning. You may be seated. So um, this particular text, my sister is visiting from Minnesota, and I always get somebody to read my sermon just in, and because, you know, it's all in my head, and then it comes out and it doesn't sound the same. But she was recounting her days as a Sunday school teacher and trying to explain this, this uh, gospel of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and the three temptations to uh, a group of Sunday schoolers, small elementary school children. And one young, young girl just was in rapt attention in front of her, and each temptation even more rapt. And um, she's thinking, wow, this child is really getting it. Um, so she just goes on and on about what Jesus is doing and finally stops and says, do you have any questions? And the little girl says, yeah, what is that on your front tooth? Because um, she had apparently some spinach on her front tooth. So a lot of times when it gets like in a theological place like the, the wilderness here, if you're feeling that way on Sunday, that's, that's exactly how we feel with some of these um, Lucan texts on the gospel um, of Jesus. So because this particular text is in all four gospels, we know that it's significant to our understanding of who Jesus is. Um, I always find it interesting, too, like who reported this particular um, gospel because there's Jesus and the devil, but then in the beginning it says the spirit was with him in the wilderness, did not just drive him into the wilderness, but was with him in the wilderness. So I don't know, maybe the Holy Spirit reported back to Luke, but we do have this in all of our, our gospels. Um, but this is how Jesus' power is diametrically opposed to what we see and feel in the world as power. Um, because we often use the story about Jesus refusing to be tempted to say that we should also refuse to be tempted, which is impossible because we are not Jesus. And because that makes this story about us and not about Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus makes very clear in this story that human power is ineffectual because it is based on self, like our own strength. But the power of God embodied in Jesus Christ is power made perfect in weakness. So the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, you hear that if in there, um, linking the three temptations to Jesus's trust, in his identity and the power and trust in God. Now we've heard this before, haven't we, from the devil, the, the tempter, the accuser, the liar, um, in the Garden of Eden, also in Job's story, this kind of don't trust God, you don't have to trust him, you can do it yourself. Um, these are very human ways of gaining power over other humans. So the devil offers Jesus the power of self-sufficiency when he tells him to take this bread and turn it into, I mean these stones and turn it into bread, that, that we never have to trust God for our daily bread or what we need every day. So then Jesus is also offered the power other, over other humans, the authority of all the kingdoms. If he would just bow down to the devil. Now this is, we just heard the commandments where it says that this is exactly what God is commanding us to do, not to bow down to other idols. And Jesus quotes Moses from the first commandment and also this law in Deuteronomy um, saying that, you know, that is not, that God is our only God. 
And this last temptation is from Psalm 91, which we also um, have in our lectionary today. And it would be giving a command to God, God, you do this for me, which honestly we're pretty wont to do, aren't we, that we do do that. God, I want you to do this, um, which is playing God. And we, we do have that tendency to do that, have our, think our powers to tell God what to do. Well, Matt Fitzgerald, who's a theologian, says that by refusing to practice human power, which is what Jesus is doing in this temptation with the devil, Jesus is making himself vulnerable to human power. He's like, I'm not playing that game. I'm not doing that. Which suggests that the strength of God and the strength that God chooses to practice is quite different from our human understanding of strength. And it suggests that this power contradicts this human power that we want to have, contradicts the love that God is revealing through Jesus Christ. So this is the love that at the end of Lent on the cross we see, and Jesus is practicing it here on the way to Jerusalem. So this begins his walk toward Jerusalem, and he's going to be telling us over and over and over again what this kingdom of God looks like, what this power of God looks like, and how different it is from the way we see power. So there, these temptations then are human ways to gain power to be self-sufficient, self-aggrandizing, little gods of ourselves. Um, these ways of power also, though, leave us very lonely, disconnected, unhappy, feeling impotent because it doesn't work inside. It might work outside, but it doesn't work inside. And as humans, we idolize strength in all of its forms. We believe the calculus of might makes right will make us happy, will make us 10 foot tall and bulletproof, indestructible. But life shows us again and again that using force to change somebody, including ourselves, has the opposite effect. So in theological terms, this is called right-handed power. Doesn't mean right-handed is better than left-handed. It just means that right-handed power is this force, this strong-armed power, the shoulds, the musts, the law. You have to do this. And then this left-handed power of grace, love, acceptance, that meets you where you are. So these two types of power were very evident this week to me in the Ukraine. So we're watching missiles hit houses and schools. We're seeing fathers past child carriers with babies in them into full trains and hoping other people will take those babies. Grandmothers weeping together in subway stations and hearing the rumble of 40 miles of tanks heading toward them. But this was also coupled with something that was very impactful for me too in that they were also interviewing the people that are in camouflage and learning how to fight with new weapons and kind of over the rubble of their own homes. Um, and they're just asking them questions like, what do you do when you're not here? I'm a marketing executive. I teach high school. I'm a dentist. I'm a software engineer. I'm a grocery clerk. Just average people fighting for their lives. But then these stories of grace also begin to surface. The Ukrainian woman who served a young Roman soldier, I mean Russian soldier, a cup of tea, and then dialed up his mother on FaceTime for her, for him, so that he could talk to her. And he told her he was going to defect because he was scared. 
the piles of bread and clothes and beds, welcoming fleeing families into Poland, the appeal of the director of an NGO in the Ukraine when they asked him, what do you need? What can we give you? And he asked the world's children to send TikTok videos so that the children of the Ukraine will know that they're not suffering alone, that they're seen, that people are with them. So these are examples of what to us looks like weakness, being more powerful than the raw power of bombs or missiles or force. So some have called our moment in history the Warring Twenties. Atlantic staff writer Sophie Gilbert calls this time in history a deeply strange and very exhausting era. But she wrote this at the beginning of an article recommending shows that might help resurrect parts of our hearts that have become atrophied in the pandemic. And one of these shows is The Dairy Girls, it's D-E-R-R-Y, um, nothing to do with cows, it's actually to do with Ireland, and it's Ireland, um, Northern Ireland during the Troubles, and it's about um, some girls and their boy cousin, actually. They are spending their days in Catholic school, while outside there's a backdrop of bombs and bullhorns and parades and things by the, by the British government. Um, but they're having their own troubles. They're having crushes that reject them. They're having to share clothes. They um, get in trouble with their parents. But this lockdown of the British Army doesn't change their political views doesn't change how they feel about what's going on. But this love and laughter and shared experience of friends and family actually heal their hearts from this fear. They have someone they're going through it with. So theologically, this is what Jesus is telling the devil in the desert. Your kind of power has no purchase when it comes to healing a human heart. So I'd like to end with a story from the New York Times number one best-selling author. He actually does young adult fiction. His name is Jason Reynolds. And he told this story on uh, Brene Brown's podcast this past week. And it has just stayed with me. You may not like the story. I'm just warning you, you may not like the story, if you have told me, but it will stay with you. You will not forget this story. Um, and it is about... Um, a senior class in high school who has a teacher, it's a global studies teacher, Mr. Uh, Williams, and he decides to get a uh, pet for the class, like a classroom pet. And they're 18 years old, they're like, we don't need a pet, why would you get a classroom pet? So he insists, he gets this anyway for them. They're too cool for this, they you know, reject this pet. But then Mr. Williams, this is Jason's own words. He came into class one day and says, look, I bought a very expensive tropical fish. And this is the class pet. You guys have to name the pet, and I need you to feed the pet when you come to class. And whatever you do, just don't touch the pet. If you touch the fish for any reason, if you touch this fish, and I know how you all are with your hands, you play, you play around trying to be funny and you touch the fish, but I'm going to suspend you, no questions asked. And everyone's like, okay, no big deal for the fish. But weeks go by, and we come to class every day, and we feed that fish, and everyone's looking at it, and now we're really attached to the fish. We love the fish. And then Mr. Williams comes to class one day, and he takes a little net, and he digs the fish out, and he sits it on the floor, and the fish starts flapping around. And we are all mortified. 
We all stand up. What are you doing? What are you doing? It's a true story, but we're mortified. And these two young ladies run over, and they scoop the fish up, and it's flapping and flapping, and they throw the fish back into the tank, and the fish survives. And we're all like, whew. And he says, young ladies, get your bags and go down to the principal's office. You are suspended. The rules are the rules. And they're like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And he says, the rules are the rules. I said, don't put your fingers on the fish. Don't touch the fish by any means. You cannot touch this fish. No yelling or screaming. Don't bother with that. Just go. So they leave the class. But Mr. Williams pokes his head out the door and says, but hold your heads up because you did the right thing. But sometimes doing the right thing has consequences. And the rest of us had to sit in that class and deal with the fact that we were cowards. So, what does this fish story have to do with you? Well, in terms of having any power to overcome temptation, we are the fish. We're out of our depth and floundering, whether we know it or not. We can't do it. But God has heard your cry, seen your flapping, seen your troubles, and come to your rescue as Christ. And all other ways of saving you are inert. Jesus is trustworthy and has done for you what you cannot do for yourself by taking on the devil and turning him down on your behalf. Saving you had consequences that Jesus took on himself, staring, starting in the wilderness by refusing to use every kind of human power of strength or force, but rather taking the path of human weakness to offer himself as a willing sacrifice for you. The way of the cross is upside down to the power that you want or think will save you. But it is the very power that saved your soul once and for all on the cross. You can trust this upside down power of great love for you. Amen.